morning. Every time I miss a Sunday, it feels longer than it is. Maybe not for you, but for me. But maybe like it'll be go go longer. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, be with us this morning as we um, continue this journey to the cross and prepare our hearts, God, and our minds, our spirit for Easter. Some of us have been through these times of years so many times that this kind of just goes by us without any penetration into our being. Um, I pray that doesn't happen. I pray that there is some sort of supernatural activation within us that helps us to see your grace and your mercy, your love more clearly, uh, that we would experience that viscerally that it wouldn't just be another story that we hear and then go about our lives again. Thanks for this time. In your name, amen. For our Lenten season, uh, we are taking this pilgrimage to Jerusalem. We started in Caesarea Philippi, and Caesarea Philippi, several weeks ago, is where Simon Peter confessed Jesus to be the Christ, the Messiah. And hopefully you've been picturing in your mind starting with Simon Peter, and then to the mother of the sons of Zebedee, and then to Zacchaeus, and then as Nathan taught last week, Lazarus, this woman with the alabaster flask, a very costly ointment as we make our way to Calvary. And so Calvary is where Jesus goes to be crucified, and along this journey to the cross, we take these pauses to meet these various people, now think about this, that Jesus, Jesus knows he's going to the cross. He knows he's going there. He knows he's going to die, yet he still makes these pauses and he takes this time and he takes this effort to focus his attention, to focus his concern on these various people that he's meeting along the way. I mean, isn't that crazy? Because if you and I knew that we were going to die next week, how would we spend that time? You know, you and I would probably spend that with our loved ones, our, our last week together. We'd spend it with people that help us to tie up our loose ends and our business, uh, you know, family and friends and our medical team and financial advisors and insurance agents and lawyers and funeral directors. We'd be meeting with all of these people, and yet we look at Jesus, and how does he use his time and of course, there are some of these friends that he's spending a lot of time with here in Simon Peter and the mother of James and John and, and Lazarus. But here, we also see that he spends time with complete strangers in his last days, like Zacchaeus. Is that something we do, knowing, you know, you're going to die next week? Or are you going to spend time with complete strangers that have no bearing on your life? And yet we see Jesus do this. When Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, he spent daylight hours there, but he did not spend his evenings there. He rested his head somewhere else. He spent evenings in a town called Bethany, which is a very walkable distance from the downtown of Jerusalem. And if we ever get a chance to go there, you'll find this in how we get there. I don't know if they've closed it off already. But the way that we used to walk to Bethany was like this little wooden stool and you'd hop over this little hill and then you're in Bethany. It's kind of like how the kids just kind of went back and forth and we, we, we followed them to do that. 
Um, but it was Bethany where he had these very, very close friends who took care of Jesus there. And Nathan spoke about these friends last week, some of them, Lazarus and his sisters, Martha and Mary. And in this story, we find Jesus in the house of Simon the leper, also in Bethany, who in my mind is undoubtedly someone that was healed by Jesus from leprosy, and here he is living in Bethany. Bethany is this village, small village, where Jesus found friendship, and he found love and hospitality and comfort and support, and that's where he went, that's where he was encouraged, and, and he had a number of friends there. Let's start in verse 1. It was now Two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, broke the flask and poured it over his head. And so Jesus is there. He's enjoying an evening with Simon uh, at his home. And the disciples and their friends there and their people there. And then something very shocking happens that interrupts this evening where they're just kind of kicking back. They're reclining. And, and Mark doesn't tell us who this woman is, but John does. John chapter 12. John tells us who this is. John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave dinner for him there. Martha served, as always, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial, for the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. And so this is Mary. We, we know who this is. Mary has brought what was most likely the family heirloom, a, a very expensive alabaster flask. Just the flask in, it, in itself is expensive, but inside of it is this expensive ointment, this perfume that's in it. People are hanging out, enjoying their evening, and then this happened, and that in a very instant, everything stopped because of this sound. The jar broke. And then all of a sudden, the smell. Like, whoa! You know, like when my wife makes bacon in the morning? <laughs> I'm asleep. Like, the alarm, but like, hmm. Like, Yes, not kosher, but I get it. You get it, right? It's, it's like that smell, right? It just it awakens you, the sound, the smell, and, and the attention is just drawn somewhere else. And so also keep this in, in mind. A single denarius is an average person's wage per day, right? So this is essentially close to a year's worth of wages, 300 denarii, right? A little less. So there's, there's this perfume called uh, Paco Rabanne, and it's called the One Million Lux Edition. If any of you feel like buying this for me one day, go ahead. <laughs> but it sells for $57,000 today. So now you have a picture of what this was like. 
because we have this $57,000 perfume that's for sale. That's kind of like what this was. This, and so you picture this extravagance, this, this luxury, and all of this is poured over Jesus. And so this year's worth of wages gone in seconds. Can you imagine? What's going through your head right now? Like, that quick. $57,000. We're not talking about, like, billionaires doing this. We're talking about your everyday people doing this. And so everyone stops what they're doing, and they look over to where they hear this breaking sound and where the scent is coming from. And when they look over there, they see this crazy thing happening. It is shocking. It is very dramatic. They see Mary pouring this perfume over Jesus. Why in the world would Mary do this? Well, you got to think about what recently happened that Nathan was talking about. And if you think back to the story then about Lazarus, you understand that the sister of Lazarus is doing this out of gratitude. She's doing this out of homage, out of a worshipful heart. Because what did Jesus just do for her family? He raised her brother from the dead. He saved her whole family because there's no inheritance that can go to her and Mary because at that time, that didn't happen for women. It's only through Lazarus that they can have this inheritance from their folks and they continue on and to live as they have lived. But this brother that she loved so dearly was just raised from the dead by Jesus. I love my sister a lot. She's one of my best friends. We talk multiple times a day. If I make an awesome purchase at Costco, like I just did this past weekend, I call her. I'm like, I can, can you find I can't believe I got this deal. Now, I imagine, you know, if she died, man, my heart would be so heartbroken. But if Jesus came by and raised her from the dead three days later, man, what Mary did, that'd be me. A whole year's worth, take it. Five seconds, take I don't even care. What you did, I don't even care. You can have anything you want, everything. All of I have, everything. Yours, Jesus. Because you did that for me. Thank you. I love her. And you did that for us. Nothing is too costly for you. I would give up anything. And that's only one of the many things Jesus has done for Mary. Because they're in Bethany. So think about this. I, I, I wonder if Simon the leper was a, a relative of Mary's. They live in the same town. It's a very small town. If anything, maybe a close family friend. Everybody knows each other. And Jesus healed this man of leprosy who was considered unclean and an outcast who would have to shout unclean before anybody would come in proximity towards him. Who He would not be able to worship in temple. He, was, he would not be able to be with his family. And then all of a sudden, like he's healed and then... They can hang out in his house, and he's brought back into the community in Bethany. He's brought back into his family. He's restored. So there are these 
awesome stories of he raised my brother from the dead. He healed and he restored Simon. And it's all in my city. It's all in my village that she experienced firsthand the love of Jesus, who Jesus loved, that Jesus wept for him. Which is really strange to me because it's like he, he knows he's going to raise him from the dead. Like, why are you crying? You, you know you're going to be able to do that. But it's, it's that deep love that he had. Brings him out of the tomb. Mary is firsthand eyewitness to what Jesus did, which was an amazing, miraculous thing that he's done for her, for the community, for her family. So she knows the love of Jesus very intimately. She feels the love of Jesus so intimately. And in response to all that Jesus has done, this is how she pours out her affection. This is how she pours out her devotion and displaying it to Jesus. So what is happening here? She has experienced the extravagant love of Jesus and so she is responding with this extravagance herself. This is the most valuable thing that I have. This is the thing that if I give this thing up, this is the, the, the biggest sign that you have everything, Jesus. So for some of us, I, I kind of wonder, have you lost the extravagance of Jesus in your life? Like, he has an extravagant love for you. Have, you. have you not felt it? Have you not experienced it? Have you not seen it in other people? And maybe you haven't. And maybe that's why the response is not the same. Maybe it's not like Mary's. And maybe it's closer to Judas. You know, we're only a couple of weeks away from Easter. And it's no accident that we're looking at this story today. Because it's to see the extravagant love God has for you. I don't think you have to look that far because people's testimonies tell you of these things, whether that's in your family or if you, just things that you hear uh, from people here at church. But even within your own families, there, there are these miracles. There are these extravagant stories of how they came to faith. Like, it's just miraculous how that happened. And so here it is. This is Mary's display of this extravagant devotion to Jesus. Jesus, you have all of it. Everything. The most valuable thing in our entire family. This is our heirloom. This is setting us up for the future. This is all yours. So emotionally, financially, spiritually, soulfully, everything, all of it displayed in the breaking of this very costly flask where this ointment is used up in a matter of seconds. You know, there, there are times when you do something and there's just no point of return after that, right? Maybe something you said and you can't take it back or you did something and you can't take it back and sometimes it's really embarrassing and you can't do anything about it or it might be some mistake or, or some social faux pas that you do and most of the time we respond with something like, my kids do this all the time, my bad. And then like, that's the end of it. And you're like, that's it, my bad, that's it. That's all you got to say for it. Or, you know, mm, mm, like this thing, or, or like mm, you know, a nervous smile thing. Or There's some sort of response. And, and so Mary's caught in these, one of these moments where it's like there, there's no return. 
the, the flask is broken, the, the, the ointment's spent, like this is it, a year's worth of wages is gone, and what she's done is just beyond comprehension for some, some of those people in there, and, and it's an extravagant devotion to Jesus that borders on ridiculous, it borders on embarrassment, it borders on unbelief and shock, and I say borders and not completely shocking because you have to think about who's in the room. It is not shocking to her brother and sister. Right? It's not shocking to Lazarus, who he just raised from the dead. It is not shocking to Martha. Maybe a little bit because she's kind of... I don't know how to describe that personality, but maybe Martha. But definitely, they are not embarrassed. They are not in disbelief. They are not shocked. Because that dude was dead for three days. And he's not going to say anything about that. He's like, how did you do that? Like, really? You are dead. You're not going to say, Jack. All you're going to say is, praise the Lord. Break the flask. I don't care. $57,000 gone. Or 300 denarii, whatever. You go, girl. You break it. Go go for it, Mary. Use the, the, the year's worth of wages. I don't care. And Martha's over there just kind of cleaning up the the pieces. No, he's, she's just like picking, oh geez, oh geez. I, and she can't help it. She's just busy at work, you know. But then there are some others there in the room who are just really uncomfortable with what happened. People thinking about what has happened and asking like, what in the world is going on right now? Are you a person like that or are you more like Martha and Lazarus who are in the room are just like, yeah, that was awesome. What Mary did was great. Or are you like these other guys who are just like, is she crazy? She's crazy. It looks like an alabaster flask that she broke, and it smells of that expensive stuff, the, the really expensive stuff. It's very expensive. And I, what did she just do? She just wasted that. And then there's this judgment over what she did or this condemnation over what she did. Now, Christians throughout history have done really crazy things for Jesus, crazy things that, that make others cringe, things that make people question our sanity. And they judge. And you see it all the time. But it really depends on where you stand and how you've experienced Jesus. Because if you're like a Mary or a Martha or a Lazarus, this is not crazy. They're simply responding extravagantly to the extravagant love of Christ that they received. The only ones condemning are the ones who haven't experienced the same thing. And so Mary's extravagant gift, what this is doing, it's, it's testing the hearts of everyone in that room. It's making you look in the mirror and, and see yourself. And so you either stand there in support of this extravagant devotion to Christ, or you just don't fully understand this extravagant love of Christ. And they were all there to witness the resurrection of Jesus. They all knew that the disciples saw this, yet they all don't recognize the extravagant response of Mary to this extravagant love of Christ that was given to her. And they actually become hostile towards her. Look at verse 4. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. Now in Matthew, 
and John's gospel account, the one who is very negative and vocal about what Mary has done, is Judas Iscariot. But it's showing that it's not just singular, that he wasn't the only one. And the way different people respond to this extravagant devotion that Mary had done is very revealing in their experience with Jesus. Because all these different excuses that you and I read on the surface, they make sense. That money could have been given to the poor. Like a year's worth of wages just spent on Jesus in a matter of seconds. We could have like fed so many homeless people. We could have uh, done this. We could have done that. We could have rescued the sex trafficked kids. We could have done all this stuff. We could have made all these excuses. But then read verse 6. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful, which is more accurately translated appropriate, uh, fitting. She has done an appropriate, a fitting thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. So in other words, um, last month, last week, yesterday, what did you do for them then? You, you could have been serving the poor then. Like all of a sudden, now you want to do something? All of a sudden, now you're holier than thou, and you, you could have given that to the poor. You could have, like, why don't you do it now? Why don't you do it yesterday? What have you done? And you're just focusing on Mary's extravagant gift to Jesus, condemning her for using this extravagant gift on Jesus, when what she gave wasn't theirs to start with. It was her thing. It was her family's thing. Like, what, what is it your business anyway, what somebody gives? And it's so funny how people get so opinionated about what you give your money towards. You worked for it, right? Whose business is it? Oh, you should have done this, or you shouldn't do that with your money. It's funny how people want to use your money for things. It's not even theirs, and they're telling you how to use it. And in their indignation, some judge Mary's gift as a waste. But not Jesus. Not Lazarus. Not Martha. Because they experienced the extravagant love of Christ. It was the others that troubled her. None of them are named except for Judas, but we know it's more than one. And, and troubling someone isn't always verbal, is it? It could be the way that they looked at her. It could be the way that they sneered or that they moved away from her or sided with Judas and like started standing next to Judas and pointing a finger. There's so many different nonverbal ways to communicate condemnation. And so how do we respond to the extravagant love of Christ? Because it reveals so much about us. You know, I know some people who have given up very, very lucrative careers to go into ministry to have their family just ridicule their decision. And I also know some people who have very lucrative careers who are called into ministry, but they, they couldn't answer the call, and then their family applauds them for the decision and saying, like, yeah, you should still be a doctor. That was a good decision. I'm not saying it is or not, but I mean, you hear the call, you hear the call. It's really a revelation of one's heart. What does that reveal 
about your heart. And so in this crowd who witnessed what Mary did, have they experienced the extravagant love of Christ? And so you look at what Jesus did. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And so Jesus stands up for her. He he defends her. And so for us, are, are we defending the right people? Because we can make excuses that seem a certain way and on the surface. As simple as, oh, we could have used our money this way, or we could have done this this way, or whatever, instead of God wanted us to do this. And so we're going to stand up for these people. We're going to stand up for these right things. And someone who doesn't understand the extravagant love of Christ, who, who reads this story, probably would agree with Judas Iscariot about this gift used on Jesus. And they would probably agree with reprimanding Mary. And yet Jesus says, leave her alone. And then he asks them a question in verse 6. Why do you trouble her? But there's really this deeper question in verses 6 through 8, which is essentially saying, why are you reacting the way that you are over what she has done? And that's something that we need to ask ourselves when we have poor reactions to things that are happening, whether it's in the church or in someone's ministry or whatever. Why are you reacting the way that you are reacting over what these people are doing, whether it's elders, deacons, ministry leaders, or the church or whatever? Why are you reacting that way? Because is it done out of guilt? Because you realize your love for Christ is little or not there at all? Or is it because of jealousy, because you don't show the same devotion? Is it because you're judgmental, that you have this huge plank in your eye that is blinding you with the appropriate gifts given? And all they could see was this broken alabaster jar of perfume, while all Mary could see was the Savior. That's all she could see. And that's the real issue. Because all they saw was money. All Jesus saw from Mary was an extravagant devotion. And Jesus recognized Mary's acceptance of salvation. Jesus said what Mary did was beautiful. It was appropriate. She anointed Jesus for burial. She recognized her Savior while others didn't. And part of her extravagant devotion was preparing Jesus for burial. And then Jesus said this about Mary, verse 9, And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. That is incredibly high praise from the Savior of the world. Who has this standing that Mary has? To have this recorded in the Bible, the Word of God, forever, for eternity, that wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told of her. There's a memory of her. Talk about highest regard. Because you can name very, very few people who shine brighter in the kingdom of God than Mary. There are very few on that list. Now notice this, that right after this beautiful, appropriate gift is given by Mary, comes this despicable betrayal. Verse 10, Then Judas Iscariot, 
who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray them. And, and you notice this word, then. Then. And so it's then, as a response to this extravagant gift to Jesus, that this was Judas Iscariot's reaction. This was his response. That it's after this. That's crazy. Because that alabaster jar wasn't even his. But he, he just saw 300 denarii. That could have been in my money bag. I could have spent that however I wanted. And now it's gone. I am ticked. A lot of judgmental Judases out there who don't recognize the extravagant love of Christ. And so may we be more like Mary who, who loved, cared, understood Jesus more than Judas did. May we be like Mary who trusted, who was faithful, devoted to Jesus, even though others were troubling her. Mary who saw Jesus as Savior, as the Christ, who raised her brother from the dead and restored him, who, who healed Simon, and she foresaw what Jesus was going to do for those who believed. We're approaching Easter. May this be a time that we gain a deeper understanding of Christ and grow in our devotion to Jesus, to all that Christ has done for us and, and to all that Jesus is. May we, we open our lives, our mind, our hearts, our hands to Christ who, who has pardoned the sins of those who believe in him. And Christ promises to shape those who believe into him into his own likeness and may that perfume of Christ be recognized in us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, sometimes we just read stories like this and we just skim over them, not thinking more deeply about them and what those implications are. And maybe we've been judgmental. Maybe we've been judgmental about how the church spends money. And I, I know a lot of times that happens, you know, when we spend things on, on property or we spend things on whatever it may be, but you know our hearts and, and the desire for those things to bring glory to you and to worship you and to provide space for that. And there's so many things that we've judged each other on, sometimes rightly, but maybe not all the time. And so we ask God for us to, to recognize the extravagant love that you've given to us. And if we can't see that, that we pray for that, that, that our eyes would be open to that because it's all over. It's all over the place. And so then, then our response and our reactions wouldn't be so knee-jerk and they wouldn't be so condemning. Thank you for Mary. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's have communion together. If any of you do not have communion elements, you can just hold up your hand and we'll get that over to you. And if anyone is wanting prayer, perhaps you are dealing with something in your life that you would just appreciate some prayer for. Maybe there's some struggle, an addiction, or something that you're having trouble overcoming. Um, Mike is in the center pew. He'd be honored and would love to pray with you. Susanna's in the right front pew. She'd love to pray with you.
Let's take out the first element symbolizing the broken body of Christ. As we're working our way to that Passover Seder that Christ is going towards, we're not quite there yet, but within that is the matzah. And the matzah is broken. The kids go off after looking for the matzah because they go hide it. And when they find it, it's like a joyous occasion. And then they bring that back and they put it in one of the sleeves of what holds the matzah. And they've taken it out of the sleeve. And it's like this symbolism of Christ resurrecting and coming out of the tomb. And it's broken matzah and they find it. And it's this beautiful story within the Passover Seder. And this is what Christ is talking about as he's doing that. And so for us, we, we celebrate this every week, this, that we found this broken matzah, that we found the Christ. So may we take this together in remembrance of Jesus and what he's done for us. Fruit of the vine symbolizing the blood of Christ spilled for us, very costly. In Jesus' name. Lord, thanks for these simple elements. Just reminding of us of what you've done. I pray, Lord, for your divine intervention on those who don't have a relationship with you. And for hard Perhaps there's been some callousness or just something that's preventing them from hearing you. And so I ask, Lord, for your divine intervention into their lives, for them to see you clearly, for them to experience your love just as Mary, Martha, and Lazarus have, and not to look out, outward in like a Judas and just kind of condemning what's happening, but that they can partake.